Welcome everyone again. It's it's expansion draft day. It's flyover footy, and we have another special guest, Charles Baim. Is it Baim or Boehm? I I forgot to ask. Boehm, Rams' poem. Boehm, my mistake. Thanks for uh, doing this, man. I, last minute was like, hey, I got two hours. Can you do something in the next two hours? You said yes. Here we are. Uh, happy to jump on. St. Louis is uh, all in the, the MLS spotlight right now, so so yeah. we've all got St. Louis on the brain, I think. Yeah, and I saw you were going to be involved. You'll be talking on KMOX later today, right? Yeah, yeah, Which is right awesome. after the draft. Perfect. I'm glad they're bringing in such good talent, to be honest. I was a little worried about it here in St. Louis, so that's a good start for them. That's great. Hey, keep on going. Keep right on going. The check's in the mail. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, well, uh, I read your article today. One more one more uh, event of, of flattery here. Loved it. It was really cool stories. My MLS history is, is not the best. And so um, as I read these, they were all new to me for the most part. And um, I thought I'd bring you on to talk about a few of them. I thought we'd maybe start with the Joe Willis story. I thought was I thought that was super interesting. Yeah, you know this is uh, this is a, a, a sort of an, a uniquely and deeply. I mean, maybe not entirely uniquely, but very deeply MLSy and sort of <laughs> ritual um, that has you know dates back to 1998 or thereabouts. I think the Chicago Fire and Miami Fusion did this, uh, and it's it sort of shrank. And evolved, and and now there's a whole bunch of different ways that uh, club, you know, sort of CSOs and other club uh, decision makers can use it. Um, but it it's it has persisted, and I think part of that is the sort of you know, the new clubs don't want to give this let this sort of lever that they have up. Um, but it's definitely sort of you you get a reflection of where MLS is at in terms of how rosters are built and how teams go about building their identities and their, in addition to their squads. Yeah. And and in your article, and as you're kind of saying here, it it does seem like a bit of a odd soccer, old school MLS kind of a move that they haven't let go of perhaps, but um, you do outline in in some ways how it's been useful in the past for sure. I don't know how you feel about it personally. Well, it's, it is, like I said, it's one of those quirky things that obviously it's, it's an, it's an American sports, professional sports, um, concept that, that MLS brought in. And if, if MLS is being founded today, would it exist? I don't know, maybe not, but expansion as a concept has, has been such a huge part of the, the identity and the existence of modern MLS. And, you know, we hear talk about it pausing after 30, um, maybe it will, maybe it won't. I, I don't know. I have a feeling that we'll be doing some more expansion drafts uh, after Vegas or San Diego, or whoever else comes after mm-hmm. St. Louis. But um, the, the I, I think there's not many opportunities that a, a newcomer gets to sort of um, uh, <laughs> you can use a few different words here: terrorize, um, um, steal from, pilfer, haggle with. Um, <laughs> Uh, hold up for ransom their fellow, uh, you know, their their fellow homeless clubs. And so that's very interesting. In a lot of cases, as I wrote, there's this just becomes sort of a um, uh, just another um, allocation money sort of asset juggling uh, exercise where you sort of get a chance to maybe, you know, in the, in the olden days when there was like there was 10 picks per team, you would actually build a significant amount of your roster out, right? And especially for those who consider MLS experience to be a key part of a roster and a locker room environment. Um, But then there's also the chance to sort of, um, you know, take your pick of different teams around the league and then also flip those assets. So, 
you know, as you were, you were talking about Joe Willis, um, you could imagine, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm, this is a, a little bit of speculation here, but if, you know, Nashville is looking around trying to find, uh, you know, their goalkeeper or their, their top competitors in their goalkeeper core who are going to be backstopping their inaugural season. Um, and they can look at someone like Willis and maybe there's, they don't see a path to getting a deal done in a one-to-one trade with his team, which at the time was Houston Dynamo. Um, but they can sort of, you know, they, they took Zarek Valentin from Portland in the draft and then flipped him to Houston for, for Joe Willis. And so you have these opportunities to sort of uh, wheel and deal and it gets a little riverboat gambler-ish, which is, uh, which is uh, a lot of it's happening behind the scenes and we don't see the fullness of it until later, but it's still pretty kind of fun and interesting. And you can learn a little about the personality of your CSOs, guys like Lutz, Fawn and Steel. Yeah, it's so funny, like the riverboat gambling thing. And like, they've only had like a day to do this. I heard that Lutz just got this list only a little bit before us, if at all. I don't know. Like, it's really crazy to have to kind of make these massive decisions and and scout that many players all in basically one day and then make these, you know, club defining decisions in some ways. And what I can tell you, what what I've heard over the past few days, and it's not unusual for this for this process is. Um, he, he and his staff are in charge. They're, they're in touch with everybody probably even before they got the list, mm. um, because they always want to have, you know, have a jump on things. Uh, they know that it's, it's sort of like having a, a twin blanket on a queen size bed, right? <laughs> Every team has, even the teams that are really homegrown heavy, which is sort of the best insurance against getting pilfered in the draft, um, is, is, you know, homegrowns don't have to be protected they're automatically protected, but even those clubs have, have more assets or players um, that they want to keep off of this list than, than they're able to. Um, but then you have, uh, you know, the sort of, the, there's the, the right, the, the five picks that you have, and then there's the threat of those five picks, right? So um, we've already seen these international roster slot deals that are happening where teams are get, are giving up international slots at a discount in exchange for what we can be almost certain uh, are handshake agreements behind the scenes to not pick players from that team. Um, and so, um, and then you're also looking at, you know, there are generally, there may be some players that, that they want, that they expect to be in their lineup or competing for a spot in their lineup on opening day of 2023. And you want to try and go get those as well. But sometimes there's more value in the threat than in the reality. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. A lot of fun with the, uh, yeah, a lot of fun with the storylines and that's, what's so great about your article. I think we'll move on, but, um, I hope everyone will check out that article. This one is on MLS.com or MLSsoccer.com and, uh, everyone should check that out. You write for a lot of different people, uh, but that is on their website for this one. Uh, but I am curious, you know, you mentioned, um, MLS experience. Some people value that for this draft and some people don't. Um, we've got three international slots there could be more coming or not um i thought this would be all about domestics here coming up in the next several weeks but the internationals have piled up and are seemingly continuing to pile up or the potential for them are so i don't know what you think st louis might be doing and what you think about their build so far so and i think they are wise to stockpile those at some point if you don't need them you can always Mm. um you know, you can you can flip them for for assets pretty easily because there's almost always someone who's looking for one, and sometimes certain deals, uh, it's transfer deals, can't happen until that happens. You know, until you get get a, a slot lined up. Um, I'm I'm intrigued. It's it's somewhat not somewhat but not entirely unique that St. Louis has had a dry run in the form of the uh, the MLS Next Pro team. So the the two team 
Um, I'm a big fan. Like, so over the years, you know, the, fir- the early years of, of expansion, there was, there, there was a pronounced advantage and conventional wisdom was that the teams coming up from a lower division had an advantage because you had, you know, existing culture, infrastructure, organizational news and all those sorts of things. And then when entities like Atlanta came in, they sort of, the conventionalism sort of shifted a little bit and people got this idea that you didn't have to do that. Um, and in some cases like Minnesota had a hard enough time that people thought there was actually a, a disadvantage from having to sort of, you know, portage yourself over from NASL or USL or whatever to MLS. I still think there's no substitute for getting guys on the field, getting guys in your crest out there, even in a, you know, what we, we would say is third division level to, to try things out and see what's working, what isn't and see what your chemistry mix is like. So I think that's been, that's going to prove in my view, really, really uh, invaluable for, for Fauna Steel and company, because um, you, you just, you've got a, you've gotten punched in the face on at least some sort of minimum level. Um, mm-hmm. And then you can already start to apply those lessons for 23. That being said, it's, it's not MLS, right? So the, there'll still be, I think it's a, a steep learning curve next year. Um, but I'm intrigued by what they're doing. I think there's certainly, you can see the ethos on and off the field, um, the, the types of players they've brought over. You see Fonestiel's sort of network at, at work here. You do need some guys who have been there, though, and who, who are going to know the opposition and, and know the, the daily routine and the grind of, of MLS and the, the stadiums you go to and the places you play and, and what goes into that, right? So, um, you know, even in the case we look over at the U.S. men's national team, right, they even with this eight years later from the last World Cup and with this drastic generational cultural shift, they're still bringing DeAndre Yedlin, hmm. um, a, a Yedlin sort of maybe one more right back than they really need to if you look at that roster because he's been there and he's done that. And I think that there's still some value to that. And I think that will be the case for uh, for St. Louis City as well. Yeah, that's a whole other episode in itself talking about what MLS brings to the table. I think that would be a fun one um, for the future. But we got to focus in here. Um, I like that punch to the face idea that um, this at least you get your punch to the face, some of it at least, maybe a lighter punch to the face in MLS Next Pro in this case. (laughs) And you did you list some bad examples of how it hasn't worked in the past. But I don't know if Nashville has gotten enough credit for they didn't go all out with bringing those guys up, but they really did pick and choose some players to bring up to the MLS side. And I thought they did a really good job of that. And really looking over free agents, uh, not free agents, uh, available players for this expansion draft. I thought Nashville's list of guys was really impressive. A lot of domestics that are useful and some of them were were available to be picked today. Yeah. So I I, um, in the months, I guess it was uh, fall of 2019, I actually went to Nashville and and got to sit around a table with um, a bunch of their sort of brain trust. They had this sort of um, decision-making by committee with a, a number of different, you know, people from different sort of walks of the game that they had gathered uh, to provide um, their sort of, you know, this kind of council approach. Um, and it was interesting because you, you, you saw a little bit of, you know, their sporting KC DNA with some of the guys that you know, had mm. come from there. And there were a couple of other influence influencers and they, I think what they did was um, and maybe you contrast it to Atlanta or, or LAFC, um, you know, the floor was raised, I think, uh, for them by virtue of the the identity of the team, the philosophical and tactical identity of being a an organized defensive team. That was tough to break down um, and and value, you know, looking for guys who are underrated elsewhere, undervalued, and and um, and not necessarily swinging for the fences and trying to go out and be 
you know, the, the greatest show on turf um, from the jump, which some teams can hit that and some teams have sort of hit that or at least done a reasonable job of it. And others have, um, have, have not, right. I mean, New York city FC year one was, was kind of a, a case study in, in, in mistakes and, and things not working out in that way. So, um, but I think now, if, if you look now, we're two or three years on in the Nashville uh, MLS cycle and you see the limitations too, right. They, that raised ceiling or that raised floor also maybe, maybe impose a ceiling on them that they're, they're having to sort of navigate now and figure out how much further can this identity take us. Right. But certainly, for a team that was launching in a somewhat unproven market, I think there was a, uh, there was a lot of value to that. So I would say, I think it seems like St. Louis is a little bit more towards the, um, the Nashville flavor, or, uh, you know, that end of the spectrum, but you know, I don't want to, don't want to sound like I'm damning with fame praise here because I think there's, um, there's a lot of other interesting things that are going on, but certainly the, the investment, there's a lot of faith being put in the, the sort of central European dudes. Right. And, and, uh, and, uh, again, I think I, I think that will put a you know put a higher floor maybe than some of the other expansion teams that have really struggled, but but it's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, that's interesting. A lot of good stuff there, and even like Nashville, as far as like pulling guys up that are um, underappreciated, perhaps. I saw like I think two center backs that came from USL one that look like they have a lot of potential. They're young guys, so um, I'm really excited to see how that that model plays out in the future. Um, but you know, at the end of your article, I thought we'd talk one last part about the expansion draft here. That um, we may see one or two guys traded away we may see all of the guys traded away that are picked today and man the more people i talk to the more i'm hearing that uh, the the trading away guys that we pick might be the feature of of tonight's draft i don't know what you think yeah you know i heard from a source who said that that um that st louis city have been uh really working the phones hitting up every club and remember on paper the five teams that lost players in um, in the Austin expansion draft are are off the 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 table for this event, right? They can't be they can't lose players, but I still think they could be involved because um, they you know they're they're in these maybe you may you may see a two or three way sort of kind of deal um, with the transactions, but um, but but St. Louis is from what I hear um, working the phones asking how much it's worth to expose clubs to not lose their players so so that you know you can kind of have fun thinking about those conversations i, I hope the loots gives a little bit of a gives us a little tease or a little window into that process uh after every, all is said and done tonight i wouldn't be the least bit surprised if every pick has been already been made hmm. for for some days now and they've got that all sort of predetermined because technically you can't do trades during the process of the draft itself but most definitely there's all kinds of stuff that's I think been set up now and then they're they'll be ready to fo- follow through on that or maybe um, maybe zig and zag here and there if teams uh, you know give them give them something they can't offer them something they can't refuse you know so um, so it's it's a really it's a it's a quirky little uh, little deal although I will say I wish that we had a two-team uh, expansion draft here because it's a lot more fun that way when you have a little <laughs> bit of the, the oppositional element of things because that introduces a different set of of uh, of impulses, you know, how American of you to say that. Uh, so maybe the alternative title uh, for the expansion draft today is uh, Luch Fan and Steel. Is that a threat or a promise? I love that there's a lot of calling and, and maybe threat making and trying to get more squeeze every ounce of, of gam out of everybody around the league. That's fun. Um, I got two more fun well, ones. Um, now and I would point out too, like the, the there's been they've done a lot of deals, right? Especially internationally. 
So maybe maybe allocation money, which is it is the coin of the realm, but maybe at this point they they're not as as hot for that, right? Maybe they feel like they have other priorities and how they want to do things. You know, maybe they're looking at um, you know roster spots fifteen to to, to twenty four, what have you, mm-hmm. or or even are, are thinking about you know what what the two team uh, interaction with the first team is going to be next year. So I don't know exactly where they are in that process. But I definitely know that there there are starting caliber players uh, up for yeah. grabs today. It was better. The list was much better than I expected for some reason. So um, it is going to be exciting no matter what. Um, you've been around. I respect your opinion. I love how balanced and uh, level-headed your opinions are. That's my favorite thing about um, when you, you post something on Twitter when everyone's been freaking out. Um, so I am curious. You know, the... The Berkey deal is something that people are really talking about being perhaps a mistake, spending that much on a goalkeeper. Alternatively, um, you could argue that if you add up what everyone's been worth that he's been getting on a free, um, that could balance it out. Yes or no, I'm not sure. But overall, the build of the St. Louis roster, in your your opinion, what, what are some of your thoughts? So that particular deal, I think, is if you were to go back a few couple of years, it was very much at one point a very established wisdom that. Um, it was dumb to, to allocate serious resources, both acquisition costs and salary costs on a goalkeeper, because there's proportionally more of those available in, in the U.S. And you could point to someone like Brad Stuver as an example, right? I wrote about him at length in the playoffs, this guy who was a backup for like eight years at a couple different clubs, um, finally gets his chance around age 30 and turns out he's an elite MLS goalkeeper, right? So, but those are, it's much easier to say those stories, uh, you know, afterwards, right? After the fact. Um, sorry about my, uh, my noisy alley uh, sounds here. But uh, so the, so I, I think it's a little, that, that is, that was once sort of, you know, established conventional wisdom. I don't know that's the same anymore just because there's more diversity in how, in perspectives and backgrounds of decision makers nowadays. The league is so much bigger and more diverse in different multiple different contexts i'm sure that this isn't just as much about personality as performance they feel like they need to have certain types of leaders uh guys who'd been there done that who could command a broad swath of respect uh across a locker room so i would be almost certain not not you know having heard too much of the you know firsthand beta about their decision there um but it's for sure you know goalkeepers are perceived to be you know a um an area of strength in the domestic player pool. Mm. Um, and then, so, and then to, to look bigger, um, I'm really intrigued with the Red Bull influence um, and in general, just the, 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 what seems to be a pretty clear, um, you know, can't towards, towards a high pressing system. And, but there's within that, there's so many different flavors, right? Even with MLS, you can look at the teams that are perceived to be pressing teams and they do th- things in subtly different ways. So is Bradley Carnell going to bring over a lot of Red Bull ideas um, whole hog, or do we, do we see a a sort of a customized version of things? And um, you know, there's so many different things that factor into that climate travel, all those things. I mean, right. St. Louis has an advantage in the sense that um, you know, you'll have, you know, Red Bull teams, for example, tend to to drop off in the summertime, right. Hmm. It's hard to keep up uh, pressing intensity in the, in the hottest months of the year. St. Louis is in a temperate zone where you're going to have cold at both ends of the season. And then, you know, it's still heat, but how much, you know, how, how influential is the sort of Midwestern heat sporting Kansas city, you know, your nearest club there travel, always travel the fewest amount of miles in MLS, which is a significant sort of psychosocial 
um, influence on the, the sort of the balance of the campaign. So if you look at what Vancouver travels and Miami versus what St. Louis is going to travel, all you can really get deep into the weeds with these kind of factors. And so I think a pressing system, you, you have more influence or more, more to consider there, I think, than most. Interesting. Yeah, that'll be see. It'd be really interesting to see how that finishes up. Um, I just want to ask you one last thing uh, before you go. Um, I love your national team writing as well. So I'm um, curious, you know, we just saw Reem was a bit of a surprise um, ad right at the end there. Josh Sargent, not so much with the form he's been in. But I'm curious uh, how you felt about those announcements and, and perhaps what we'll see their roles look like. Sargent, especially, I'm curious what you think his role will be in the World Cup coming up. I'm not pandering when I say it doesn't it just feel right that there's some St. Louis boys, yeah. um, you know, some St. Louis flavor, the, the ancient cradle of American soccer, <laughs> uh, is, is going to be well wrapped in, in cutter, which is, which I think there's something satisfying about that. Um, but, but in the bigger picture, they earned it. I mean, absolutely. And, yeah. um, you know, those are guys I, I had real, f- I would, would definitely not necessarily have seen either one of those guys as locks just a few months or even weeks ago. Um, for me, Sargent is the best option to start at the number nine role. When you, when you look at all the different factors, we talk about this position. We've talked about this position endlessly for what a year and a half or more now. And I think, um, I think Greg Bearhalter, um, for better and for worse, he is a thinker and he's an overthinker. And I think you see a little bit of that in this in this final squad that he picked. Although I think he got a lot right, more right than I thought he would, in sort of my, my perspectives uh, on it. But when you're looking at sort of all around skill set, form, chemistry, I mean, I, to me, Sargent is should be the guy. Um, I don't know that he will be, but I think that's that's your starter against Wales, all things being equal. Um, and then Reem is just a fantastic story. And I was actually lucky enough to be invited on his, the the podcast that he does, which I think is moving over to to Sirius XM. Oh, nice. Um, but the um, you know he's just like a just like a good dude, considering what a big level he's played at for so long um and for him to have you know put together a career year at just the right moment and storm storm into the onto the plane sort of the last moment and maybe even be starting i mean i i think there's a lot of good reasons to start that guy uh, on day one i don't know that he will um but it's a it's just a fantastic story and uh um and uh, and i think they need they need a presence like him and, and he'll he'll be useful for sure I think I can tell we listen to the same people. I see you in the same forums that I go on. So like, I agree with you hundred percent and I'm more biased uh, to agree with you, but I, you know, on, on Sergeant that was dead on, on Reem. Um, it feels like if someone bombs out of that second center back role, that Reem has a chance at that point. And if it's, you know, trying to break down a defense, Reem is a good choice. If it's to defend out, uh, maybe not such a good choice, but uh, I'm just glad he's there. And I do agree that he, he deserves it. Um, and my guess is that they'll get heavy into the game planning for individual opponents. Hmm. Um, you know, uh, Wales is going to, uh, I spent a bunch of time um, looking at them this week. They are, um, you know, they don't need the ball and they're not necessarily going to, going to press you high, but they are going to try and counter. So the question is, you know, foot, I think it's going to come down to foot speed versus tactical discipline and decision-making hmm. Reem is, you know, less strong in the former and, and more strong in the latter. Yeah. Um, and then a relationships, you know, I think it's a huge advantage for, for law Aaron long that he's been in, uh, he was in that fitness camp down in Texas 
working on a day-to-day basis alongside Zimmerman in front of Greg Berhalter. Inevitably, coaches in his position um, are going to be probably carrying a significant uh, recency bias. So again, if I was if I was a better, I'd probably say it's Long Zimmerman uh, on day one. Mm. But I do think we'll see Reem on the pitch. Cool. I'd love to see it. Charles, thanks so much for tra- talking to me again. KMOX tonight. Make sure you check out his Twitter for all his stories. C-B-O-E-H-M on Twitter. Uh, Charles, man, have a good time tonight. Hope you enjoy it. Phil, it's a pleasure to speak with you. Thanks for having me. Too.